Welcome to Anxiety and the Artist, the podcast that explores artist's relationship with anxiety, offering insight and inspiration. I'm your host, Allison Schaff. My guest today is Aaron McGuire. Aaron is a New York City-based stand-up comedian, actor, writer, and podcast host. She's headlined at Caroline's on Broadway, appeared on ESPN and the Game Show Network, and was a writer for the Comedy Central roast of Alec Baldwin. Her podcast, Dear Pod, reached Apple's top 100 comedy podcasts in its premiere month. Erin, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to do your show. It's nice to do somebody else's podcast. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your background as an artist and your relationship with anxiety. Oh, God. Relationship with anxiety. That started at birth. Uh, (laughs) Complex relationship. It's what makes artists artists, right? Uh, No, um, as an artist, let's see. uh, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, doing musicals and comedy. I did improv and sketch throughout my entire high school career. Career. That's a fun word. Uh, And uh, then I went to college. I went to Ithaca College for musical theater. Graduated from there, moved right to the city, couldn't get arrested in musical theater, so started doing sketch comedy and improv there. And then I slowly started to work in musicals, and then I would have one foot in either arena. So I would go away to do a show for a couple months, and then when I would come back, I would go right back into sketch and improv, you know, doing stuff at UCB, taking classes, and keeping myself sort of active in both of these arenas. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, have been had been chugging along in musicals but i i just was getting frustrated that the next level these these doors didn't seem to be opening and i was getting frustrated with feeling like i was sort of stuck on a hamster wheel of you go out of town you do a show for two months you come back you're exactly where you started before you left and then you go back out and you do a show for two months you come back again and I kept coming back to comedy and there was a point where I kind of went, I see everybody else in these audition rooms for musicals. And, and I was going in for a swing for Annie. It was way back in the day, the revival of Annie, not the original Annie, (laughs) but (laughs) one of the 15 revivals of Annie. Yes, exactly. You pick one. (laughs) It's a grab bag of Annie revivals. And I remember looking around being like, can I do this job? Absolutely. Can 30 other people who were in here do it? Absolutely. What can I do that they can't do? And I just knew that I could blow it out of the water with comedy. Mm-hmm. So that was a point that I kind of just had to come, come to Jesus and uh, said to myself, you know, I'll, I'll, what's like my next frontier of entertainment? And since I'm an emotional cutter, it just felt like a natural response to go to stand-up comedy. Okay. So I started doing that sort of on a fluke because somebody asked me to host an event. So I just kind of did that. And it was one of those nights where you go, Oh, I think I'm on to something. And mm-hmm. it's kind of a place where I, I can use all the skills in my, my grab bag. So mm-hmm. I started doing stand up. It'll be primarily just primarily stand up eight years now. And, okay. uh, as of, April 8th, I will be recording my first comedy album. So I think, I think that this is the right trajectory. It's been a lot of back and forth and a lot of internal sturm and drong. Mm -hmm. 
Um, did you have like a sort of mourning period? Did you, you know, did, what did you, what did it take to sort of come to terms with, you know, this one thing you'd been working towards for so long was, was, wasn't the thing and that, oh, it needs to be this other thing. And like, what were some of the, the thoughts and feelings and emotions that you were going through in that transition? Well, I think first of all, it's not that it wasn't the thing. Mm-hmm. I think that that thing is still out there. Okay. I think it's going to be bigger and different than I think it is. Okay. And I think that that's because I, I was going through so much like depression, you know, especially in the first couple of years is this almost like you're, you're telling yourself you can't be this one thing anymore in order to get over here. Now there is a point in, in your career in entertainment where if you decide to pursue stand up, it needs to become your thing. Mm-hmm. It's this like one leg in either arena wasn't making me move forward mm-hmm. because I kept moving laterally, you know? Right. So there was a certain amount of like decision-making conscious decision-making to go, I need to commit to this so that I can be the best at my my game over here. Right. It needs my focus. So I, yeah, there, it's interesting. You said there's a period of mourning. I mean, yeah, there were certain shows that I did where I was like, I wonder if I'll be doing this anymore. And the, and the answer is no, I don't think anything is set in stone. And I think to tell yourself one thing so definitively is anxiety inducing mm-hmm. and keeps you from making decisions. It's, it's, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to give myself fully over to this arena of stand-up. That doesn't mean that Broadway won't call in a whole different realm than maybe I anticipated. Mm-hmm. And I think being so set in that way can cause unnecessary tension. You know, right. it's like one of my favorite stand-ups ever is Eddie Izzard. And I think one of the reasons he's been so successful is that he says yes to a little bit of everything okay. on his terms though. It's like he has arrived as a, he had arrived as a stand-up comic and it allowed him the ability to, he starred in a Broadway show. He, you know, started, he, now he's running for office. Like it's created an opening for more possibilities. So I never want to think something is dead in the water. I want to keep myself like a little bit molten, not leaden. Mm-hmm when it comes to my approach to that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think acceptance is a hard thing, but it has to be on your terms and you have to know that this life can kind of take you anywhere. Amazing. There's no ending. There's no official path. And I think that that's what the pandemic taught me. Mm-hmm. It's like, if we don't come out of this crap, learning something about ourselves, then we haven't done the re- the past two years well. <laughs> right. Learn something. Right. And I think I learned that like we're guaranteed nothing. Yeah. So go for everything. Yeah. Well, and I think And stop that, limiting like, yourself. When we're when we're, you know, those nineteen year old optimistic doe eyed musical theater performers, we have a very specific idea of what our lives and our careers are going to look like. Exactly. And I can guarantee you that nobody looking back go you know where we are now in our lives going oh this is so not where i expected to be but it's also so much more interesting and so much yeah, more yeah well the path isn't linear yeah. it's never linear yeah and i think the more you accept that and i think that came with age and with uh, a lot of therapy yes. <laughs> and a lot of booze for me to go like it's okay 
to get there on a different road. Right. And it may be a better landing than you thought right. when you get in. Right. So let's go back to the whole anxiety thing. When did you first notice that anxiety was a um, a presence in your life? Well, I grew up in Boston in the 80s, so we didn't really talk about that kind of thing. <laughs> they still don't talk about that kind of thing. We'd rather just like punch each other and have a pint and then that's it. That's how they deal with it. But uh, I never put a word to it. Like I never knew what it was. Okay. I've had it since I was a kid. I had crippling OCD. Really? Yes. And it developed in me when I was like eight. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was an incident that had like, it's funny, it's taken a lot, a lot of therapy to figure out, oh, there was an inciting incident that created this, this thing. Right. And it's how your mind chose to categorize it, which fascinates me that your brain is like, well, we can't deal with this. So let's everybody wash our hands. That'll feel good. <laughs> we have control uh, over that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What can you control? The fact that you can touch this, this thing 20 times and then turn around in a circle and spit. That's why I'm so good at uh, superstitions. That's why theater always suited me well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say I started roughly when I was eight. Okay. Uh, wicked nervous kid. I had a lot of, uh, uh, rituals. Okay. I was a ritual person, but it's funny because one of my rituals was unintentionally, um, beneficial. Okay. Like you, you, you've studied OCD, right? Oh, like, yes. you know, obsessive compulsive disorder and how it can like manifest in different people. For me, it was a lot of hand washing, a lot of rituals, but one of my rituals was every morning, I had to get up and I would record every episode of SNL. I had them all on VHS and I would have to watch an episode of SNL before I went to school every morning. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that the weirdest OCD? If that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about me and you wonder why I was like, I think I should be a sketch artist. I think I should be a comedian. I think I should be in this world so, being characters so you were you waking up at like 5 a.m every day <laughs> so you could watch yeah and i'd have a banana oh my god and i'd watch snl that's so and that was my thing and if i didn't do it it wrecked the day wow okay and as a result wrecked the day for everybody around I'm sure me. <laughs> uh, yeah but it calmed me down the rituals calm you down and uh the hand washing, not as fun as SNL, right? not as fun. <laughs> Although I'm sure it served you well recently. <laughs> oh, I know. I was like, <laughs> you know, that's the funniest thing. I, I joke about this on stage. I'm like, I didn't even know there was a pandemic going on <laughs> until about three months in. And I was like, oh, you guys are just now watching your bo boxes of Captain Crunch. I've been doing this the whole time. That's really funny. At least I haven't felt a road bump in any of this, all this washing. So uh, yeah, that's when it kind of started, but we didn't know what it was. We didn't, we didn't have a word for that. We didn't have anxiety. We didn't have drugs for any of this mm -hmm. stuff. I think like lithium was the only option. And I don't think that my parents were aware of it. They didn't know like what therapy was literally like that wasn't a thing. Right. It wasn't in your world. You know, at all. they just knew that like I was a weird kid. That's what you are. You're just weird. <laughs> but yeah. And it has stayed with me ever since I was a kid. Like the OCD really calmed down because even as a kid, I knew it was getting in the way of my life. Mm -hmm. And eventually uh, laziness can sometimes win out, which is a good thing. It's like, oh, it's just too much effort to maintain right. all of this hand washing. God, like crotchety old kid. <laughs> and um, 
but it's all the anxiety has always been there. And I've, I've said this before because I've met, you know, we work with a million different artists and a million different genres, you know, like we, we just are all around each other all the time. And I feel like the vein of OCD runs parallel to the vein of creativity somewhere in your brain. Mm -hmm. And I was always scared to do any sort of antidepressant, any sort of drug for fear of it, um, muting my creativity. Okay. So I was just like, just learn to live with the anxiety so that your creativity can flourish. Cause I was always so afraid that it would dull me out. Right. I think that's a concern of a lot of artists. Yeah. Which is like, I mean, look, they've manufactured things to within an inch of their lives. I mean, I, I agree that drugs should be for people. They are, I know so many people who have a mil like are on antipsychotics, antidepressants, uh, those things I've, I've tried a couple and they just don't work for me. My chemical balance is weird. And whenever I say that somebody's like, we'll smoke weed. And then you have the pot smoking people who you're <laughs> like, no, I, that doesn't work for me either. And then they act like they're, they're like matchmakers for pot. They're like, well, ugh, look, I'm sorry you had that bad experience with Indica, but I have this great guy named Sativa and he's really chill <laughs> and he won't make you paranoid at all. And I'm like, none of it works for me. Right. Okay. None of these chemicals work. And I've tried mm -hmm. later in life. So, uh, you know, and I don't think there's one silver bullet to handling anxiety. I think it's a mix of whatever works for you. And it takes a lot of trial and error. It's like, right. maybe like for me, I found therapy and meditation, transcendental meditation to be what really helps keep my brain calm. Okay. And in check. Great. Because sometimes the anxiety, as much as I'm like, oh, we're all anxious because we're all performers. We're guaranteed nothing. Right. Anxiety is built into our profession. Yeah, it's meant to be there. Rejection, uh, instability, insecurity. All of you it. know, all the fun yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's there. But it's it's how you sort of choose to channel it. Uh, manipulate. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How do you deal with it? And uh, it's also funny because I... I've noticed in the past few years that the anxiety was getting in the way of me achieving a new level in stand up. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've me, it's necessary for me to calm my brain down so that I can receive because the chatter and the noise can get so loud. Right. Right. That it's drowning out something you might be here you know might want to hear. So something that might come down the funnel. Right. So speaking of hand washing in the pandemic, <laughs> how has the pandemic shaped or changed how you practice your art? Oh, well, first of all, weirdly, I had a good one. I had a good pandemic. Thank you, government, for <laughs> supporting me while I figured some things out. Uh, everything moved to Zoom. There were stand-up shows on Zoom. It made me a better performer hmm. in, in a couple ways. Uh, the Zoom shows forced me to actually watch myself do stand-up, which I have such issues over looking at myself and studying myself and trying to be sort of an impartial observer mm -hmm. of what I do, which I think is a huge benefit, not only for stand for any performer, to be able to watch yourself like you are uh, looking at a third person that you don't know, I feel like helps you grow. So the fact that I'm doing zoom shows and like, you know, camera five inches away from me, it also made me go, I need to become a better writer. Cause I'm using a lot of words that I don't need hmm. in comedy. And it's made me streamline what I do. It's made me a stronger writer. Um, 
it's taken away a lot of fear because when you have everything taken away, you have nothing to lose. Right. <laughs> and I was doing shows throughout the pandemic, but in Central Park. Like, really? There were still stand-up shows that were happening with this one company, Stand Up New York. And they were sort of hosting <laughs> spaces in Central Park. They were sort of like meetups, but everybody's outside and everybody's far away from each other. And, you know, it was a chance for whoever did not run screaming from New York, if you're still here, keep trudging on. And it was wild. I actually loved it. It was stressful at first because, oh my God, we're in the middle of like sheep meadow screaming into nothing <laughs> because we weren't even amplified, oh gosh. which, you know. You see people screaming in Central Park. You're like, wow, that's just uh, another crack addict. But, you know, <laughs> hey, oh, no, it's a stand-up show that's happening in front of you. So we had, like, three different locations where comics would meet up and do shows in Central Park. But we'd yell into nothing until eventually we got a little handheld mic. And that didn't help either because when you're in Sheep Meadow, like, I was doing a set and a twerking competition broke out oh, to the right of me. Oh, you, you could only... <laughs> Like when you are in guerrilla warfare, <laughs> comedically speaking, you have nothing left to lose. Right? So mess around, mess up, be daring, make ridiculous choices. So it kind of made me push myself further. And I think looking around, I'm, I'm screaming in the middle of Central Park, but on these lineups, were people who have Netflix specials, Comedy Central specials, people who've been on late night multiple times. And I looked around and I was like, oh, when the shit hits the fan, we are all equal. Mm. <laughs> so there's no separating me from the guy who has a Netflix special. So you know how we always do that compare and despair thing uh -huh. as artists. You're oh, like, yeah. what are they getting? What am I not getting? Right. It kind of made healthy. me step back and go, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, so when the zombie apocalypse arrived, it doesn't make a difference. Right. So it created this weird freedom in me to be like, what are you so concerned about? And all of this looking to your right and left is taking away from you doing what you need to do to make you better. Yeah. It was so wild to me. Yeah. I feel like that's a lifelong struggle. <laughs> you know? It is. It is. And I was like, it's funny coming back on and now sort of getting back into the the swing of things. And then I find myself going back into that pre pandemic mindset. And I honestly like have to tap the brakes and go, wait, 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 what did you learn? Right. Zombie apocalypse. We're all in this crap together. So it's, it's made me release a lot of things I just don't need. That's wonderful. <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, I like to maintain it every now and then. I'm not there every day, but I'll be there today and maybe tomorrow. Amazing. One day at a time. That's all you can do. Yeah. <laughs> so being a multi-hyphenate has become the new standard, which has its positives and its negatives. Um, tell me about your experience with that. I mean, it's made me have to, it's made all of us have to learn skills that we never signed up for. Mm -hmm. And that can be frustrating. It's like, I'm not a sound designer. I'm not a lighting designer. I don't know how to do this effectively, but it has made me say, you don't have a choice. Learn it. Just learn it. Mm -hmm. Stop fighting it. You know, and as a result, everything around what you primarily do will be enhanced. It will be better. So there's frustrations with being like, uh, I mean, for me, I don't want to learn TikTok. Uh, please. <laughs> when they were talking about banning TikTok, I was like, yes, I support yes. this. Whatever this is, please. Like, don't come out with another app where I have to get 2 million followers on this thing because I, it makes, it overwhelms me 
sometimes and I'm just like, uh, it, there's too many ways to go. It's exhausting, you know. Right. Well, there's a lot of noise, especially in the land of social media. So I feel like that's exactly understandable. <laughs> and it definitely, that talk about anxiety inducing, it makes you feel like you have to be good at those things. Right. And I have to remind myself that like, I can't, I can only be so great at so much. Right, right. Well, and you have to figure out what, you know, what's your thing and what are you going to learn and what are you going to let other people deal with, you know? (laughs) Yeah. What are you going to focus on? Trust me, I outsource so much stuff now, which is great. It's great for our own entertainment economy. So I can go, look, I don't know how to make a good flyer that's effective to promote my album recording. So I have my friend Jonathan doing that. Uh, You know, asking for help right now if there's something that you can't do is vital yeah yeah so what were some of the things that, that came out of you being a multi-hyphenate was it was your podcast one of those or well the podcast was happening before that okay Dear pod comedy advice podcast uh we had started doing that god we're coming up on three years which is nuts i will say that podcast was so life-saving hmm in those early days of the pandemic, because even though we couldn't be together, I have a co-host, his name's Patrick O'Brien. He lives in Manhattan and we were out here and everything was shutting down, but it was so nice to know that we could get on Zoom and record a podcast together and that we had it every week to go to. And it was the thing that was sort of like tethering us and keeping us sane and making us laugh. And what's wild is, and I'm sure you've got this too, the people who you don't know are listening, right. who reach out and they say, oh my God, you helped me get through this. This made me laugh. This made me forget for an hour. You know, it became such a vital thing. So we only got better at the stuff to do with the podcast. I think our content got better. I think we got funnier because we got more honest. Um, we also ended up, again, with the help of my friend, Jonathan, who's Jonathan Randall Silver is amazing, and I can't endorse him enough <laughs> on every podcast. He's so good at the tech aspect of things. Uh, we did a live show from our basement, and we involved a whole lot of people in it, and it was to raise money for my friend Kelly's family. Okay. And it was it was a whim. You know, she had died from a glioblastoma, and she left behind two kids and a husband. And so I was like, you know what? This is... It was around Christmas time and I was just like, we have to do something. Right. So I was like, let's just put on a show. And within two weeks, we had all these amazing people who were submitting videos that we basically spliced together with the help of Jonathan. And we learned how to live broadcast from our home. Also, I I was doing lives on Instagram every, I made it a thing. It made you feel better to have a bit of structure to your day to be like, okay, every Tuesday and Thursday, I'm going to go live on Instagram at this time as Liza Minnelli giving you a state of the union. (laughs) Because remember there was that time when like everyone was doing press briefings. It was like Cuomo was trying to beat out Trump with his press briefings. And then Fauci, everybody, I was like, there's so many damn press briefings. Why don't we hear what Liza has to say? about this pandemic and you could go on uh, every Tuesday and Thursday and you could ask me anything about the state of the world. I'm really sorry I missed this. <laughs> well, some of them are still vaulted on Instagram. Oh, good. And uh, they've taken some down, which I don't understand why they were like, this violates rules. And I'm like, I'm sure it does. It violates a lot of rules. <laughs> 
It violates emotional rules. <laughs> I should bring that back. But it was like, you know, it was a, a grounding force to be able to be like, learn something new, figure out how to do it, and then just do it. Do it. I think, yeah. you know, it has its pluses and its minuses. On the one hand, I'm dragging my feet like I'm in the boomer generation all of a sudden being like, oh, I don't know what these kids in the Snapchat are all about, blah, blah, blah. But on the other hand, what else are you doing? Right. Go be creative. Right. Well, and I also yeah. find it, I know, I know for me personally, it's, oh, so exhausting to learn a new skill. And I love learning new things, but it's like, just when you feel like you've mastered something and you're like, oh, it's gone. Now I have to do that too. Like I, not only can I, you know, be a writer and a director, but now I have to produce, I have to self-produce. Oh, it's just I so know. much, you know? And, I know. and it's like, yeah, but what are your alternatives? <laughs> Yeah. The only time I really took issue with it is when you get like feedback from a casting thing that you had done being like, she needs to fix her lighting because her eyes are reflecting. It's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Like, let's get some perspective here. people. I never said that I was a lighting designer or sound designer. Right. You know, we're all figuring this out. So let's all just be a little bit patient with whatever this is. And it takes money to do that kind of stuff, you know? Right. Right. Money that people didn't have coming in. No. Yeah. So, so what advice seen given all you've been through and, and all of your, (laughs) your, your wisdom and experience, um, what advice do you have for an artist that is struggling right now? This is the hardest piece of advice for me to give to anybody because I can't hear it myself. Sometimes be patient it's like tough to learn that we've all just been through something nutty and we all want to hit the ground running and the ground is still trying to find its way under our feet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you have a day where you're pushing up against it, I mean, here's an example. I'm, I'm putting stuff together for this album recording I'm doing and I want to add more material to it. But I find sometimes when I'm sitting down to really work on it, uh, nothing's flowing. I'm learning now. I can't force that. Because if I do, I'm not going to get the product I want. So if you feel like you're having a day where you're anxious or tense, step away from whatever it is you're doing and literally get outside. I have to go for walks all the time, all the time. Yeah. Literally physical activity, an act of clearing your head, whatever that is, you know, do you get on a a bike? Do you go work out for a little bit? It's like whatever sort of action sort of snaps you out of living inside your brain, which is never a pretty place to live. I always say if somebody looked at the inside of my head, it would be like an abandoned Walgreens. (laughs) It's chaos. There's boxes everywhere. There's like random underwear, some Snickers. (laughs) You know, it's like somebody raided it, looted it, ran away. Right. So it's not a pretty place to hang out for too long. You need to get out of your head and go for a walk. I love that advice. I'm a huge fan of going for a walk. <laughs> that's such a, that's such a, like my grandmother piece of advice to offer, no, but, but it's, it's so like just basic, but it's like, I feel like it's an essential need that we have now, especially when we've been inside for so long. And it, yeah. the, 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 and, and for a long time it was, there was the fear of going out. Like you can't, you'll get sick. So enjoy that. You so can. enjoy that yeah. you can get out. I also find like, I'm one of those people that wakes up at four o'clock in the morning 
and you know everything that's possibly wrong with my life and the world runs through my brain and I need to all- solve all of it right in that moment. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, which is a really effective time to do all of that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Everybody's up. Businesses are booming. And I you find, can totally- yeah, you know, but I find just getting out of bed, like get out of bed, get out of your head, walk around the kitchen. I don't know. I mean, I do laps around my living room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just like I mean, physically it's, moving it's like- your body and getting out of like, getting out of your head to then be able to sit down and go, okay, what's really going on? <laughs> yeah. You know? It's pivoting your energy yeah. is all like, yeah. I'm just finding if I'm in a place where I'm getting like sour or something like that, it's like, I just need to adjust the tempo here. I need to just look at something else, do something else, you know, depending on where you are in the world and the people that are available to you calling somebody else. It's just changing that energy of it's how to stop the hamster wheel from spinning. Yes. For even absolutely. like a minute, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Erin, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your experiences you. and your, your truth. <laughs> oh, wow. I had a lot of truth to share. Who knew? <laughs> um, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening and thanks to my guest, Erin McGuire. For more information, please check out our website, anxietyandtheartist.com and join our community on Instagram. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend. Until next time, be healthy and stay creative. This podcast represents the opinions of Allison Chef and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Anxiety in the Artist is produced by Grosta Productions and recorded at Homestead Studios. Sound editing and engineering is by Bosco Chef. Our marketing guru is Ben Nissen. Our theme song is composed and performed by Bosco Chef.